Hello and welcome to Wire Live episode seven. Uh, something a little bit different today. I'm going to be joined by one of the Wirehive team. In fact, one of my business partners, uh, the magnificent Simon Green, our CTO at Wirehive. And the reason for that is because he and I were reflecting on something this week that I thought posits quite, posits quite an interesting debate, which is why does no one care about the new iPhone? Like you could be forgiven for not even realizing that Apple released the new iPhone this week. And I appreciate that there are many things going on in the world at the moment that may have your attention. Perhaps things that are a little bit more important than what phone you're going to carry around in your pocket for the next year or two. But I think there's more to it than that. I don't think this is a Corona-related thing. I think that something's changed in technology and something that used to be a, a huge event, certainly for those of us that care about these things in this, in this industry, has turned into something that almost just glides past without any fanfare or or um, or reason, even much anticipation, actually. So um, today we're going to talk a bit about that. Uh, we're going to tell you our origin story and and sort of unpack how that all started and how technology played in that. Look at the things that we think have been really impactful in technology over the last decade, and then ultimately the all important uh, and much maligned predictions. We're going to make some predictions about what we think is going to happen as well. Uh, so before we carry on, let me introduce Simon to the episode. Hello, say hello, Simon. Hello. And uh, viewers, listeners, you will notice Simon has a much cooler background than I do with my uh, slightly old print and and plant that is slightly out of camera there. Um, Simon, as you'll notice, has a fine ukulele collection and hydroponics. Although I assure you, it's it's all legal. Uh, cooking items as opposed to the other things people grow with hydroponics. Uh, how are you doing today, man? You well? Yeah, all good. All good. First time taking part while also producing, which is new. Uh, yeah, yeah um, I, th thank you for that. I appreciate it. And uh, and if you're watching live, uh, we are going to take questions throughout as well. Just jump into the YouTube live chat and we'll keep an eye on those as we go. Um, so when do you think the last time an iPhone release happened that you were personally excited about? I can't remember which iPhone it was, but Apple releases, it was when they were expected to drop the Apple Watch. and The first I, watch, the very first one. I think so, yeah. I remember it was, it was such a hyped up event before the fact that there was a whole group of us sat in the office. We even had it up on like big screen in the office watching the live WWDC event, watching these launches, waiting for the... Just one more thing. And the anticipation was like palpable. And then afterwards we were all like, what are we going to do with this? Is this cool? Is this a big thing? You know, it was because that's when they used to make these big step changes in technology that actually mattered. Yeah. And, and look, I think that's the, you, you used a very important phrase there, step change. I think the reason when you unpack it that we all used to watch with such interest was partly because they put on a good show. You know, they, they, the theater of it was always amazing, but but more, more importantly, it was a signal of what was next. I think that the, the change and uh, the advancement, the rate of change in technology at that time was exciting. And so Apple were always kind of the pioneers that would bring the whole thing together as a package and, and turn things that were seemingly a little bit obscure or maybe not considered to be normal yet, um, you know, package them up and put them in, in people's hands in a way that changed the world. And I think, um, 
you know, their big bet on Bluetooth headphones, for example, that everyone with a much maligned change. Well, guess what? Everyone uses Bluetooth headphones now, right? And I'm sure whether that was a good or a bad thing, they are responsible for that shift. And so I think back then there was this sort of consensus view that what, what came out of those events was something really exciting and something that gave you an indication of what was coming next. So um, anyway, we'll come back yeah, to it, that. It was so, like when, um, when yeah. you could have any kind of technology going, any kind of technology would exist. And you'd get people saying, oh, well, Apple haven't invented that. They haven't created it. That's been around for ages. Oh, Android did that first. Samsung did that first. Don't need a new PC. IBM did that first. But what Apple do is they tell you, this is okay now. You can use this now. This is now normal and acceptable and cool. It's now designed by Apple in California. It's no longer either some piece of Chinese technology that you've never heard of from a manufacturer you've never heard of or some beige box. And that's the that's the Apple magic, I think. Yeah, totally. And I think the um, I was chatting to someone recently, and they said that they um, their personal trainer, because obviously they had a personal trainer, um, couldn't believe they were using an Android device because their personal trainer sort of perceived them to be reasonably wealthy, and the view of that of that person was that one of the things that wealth allows you to do is, is be able to buy an iPhone, not an Android phone, which I thought was really interesting, but still seen as this kind of like, even now as this sort of luxury product that is in a different category. Which um, is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. it is crazy, but, but that's, the, that's the magic they created. Anyway, look, well, enough about Apple. That's a good primer. Let's come back to that later. So um, I thought it'd be fun just to kind of set the scene for people that don't know us well watching this about how we met and the place that technology kind of kind of occupied in that whole beginning. So um, Simon and I have been running Wildhive together for getting on for nine years, uh, along with our, our third partner, James, who sadly can't be with us today for obvious reasons. Um, but Simon and I met in a in a kind of unique way, I guess, which is we were both working as employees in, in businesses at the time. Simon was a IT director, CTO of a digital agency, and I was working for a, a large kind of hosting and infrastructure company. And um, don't let anybody ever tell you cold calling doesn't work because occasionally it does. And, and this is a great story that, that, that explains that. So uh, there was a guy in my team called Ollie who uh, was a slightly uh, challenged sales guy, let's say, who was uh, not always hitting his numbers and, and and perhaps um, not always seen as the top performer in that team, let's say. And I love Ollie to bits, and you know, if he's watching, hi Ollie. Um, and so one of the things that Ollie was asked to do was to pick up the phone. You know, his pipeline was a bit empty, and and we didn't really do much calling as an activity as a team. And so Ollie was tasked with the, the this challenge to pick up the phone and drive up some business. And Ollie was great on the phone. He was a really nice guy, really likable. And he, he had a real art of getting past the gatekeeper, as they're, as they're often called, which is typically a, a, you know, a receptionist or someone who answers the phone, basically, in an office. And so on that particular day, uh, Simon rang Blue Halo, the business that Simon was working for at the time, and managed to sweet talk his way th past the receptionist to get through to Mr. Simon Green himself, the decision maker for this particular type of technology, which was some cloud hosting stuff. Um, and as it so happened, unbeknown to Ollie, Simon is actually the sort of person who's quite open-minded about this sort of thing. And if he ends up on the phone with somebody who's compelling and happens to have the thing he needs, he'll say yes, right? He's like, yeah, actually, I would like to have a meeting with you. I am in the market for this thing you're trying to sell me. 
you've timed this well. And I think you can fill in the blank here, but I think you, you were in the middle of like a dispute with your existing supplier. Yeah, so it the, the serendipitous time, right? timing was phenomenal. Uh, no, it can't have been 30 seconds prior to this phone call coming in. I had just hung up the phone on our current hosting provider in frustration because they were stuck in the dark ages. I had a new way I wanted to work. I wanted them to build me this way of working and work in this way. And I was just at my wits end trying to explain this model to this archaic business. I just slammed the phone down in frustration. And I, when the phone rang, I thought it was going to be the account manager from this other hosting company calling back. And um, yeah, when, uh, who would it have been at the time? I want to say Laura. When Laura put the call through to me and said, I, you know, I've got someone from Daddy Power on the phone. I'm like, yes, yes, I do want to speak to Daddy Power. This is good timing. <laughs> yeah. And um, and the rest, is, as they say, is history. But but look, the one thing led to another. Simon and I obviously met um, and agreed to, to start a, a working relationship. Oh, no. Where's Rob? It's just me. Well, I'll fill in the rest of the story where Rob reconnects. So, yeah, we started this working relationship. We ended up sat in a, sat in a meeting room together with a sales guy. And, um, and along they came. Um, there was just me, Rob, Ollie, and uh, and another and the sales director, I think it was for the unit at the time, and uh, just casually started uh, talking tech. And you've got these two sales guys sat at the side of the room, like something's going to happen that involves us soon, or maybe I can chip in on that. Oh, nope, nope, that's not going to be a thing. And Rob and I are just giving it all this constantly talking to tech, what the ideal wants to be, and just kind of hit it off. And I think we have Rob back now. Yes, indeed. Um... I, I think we got disconnected from each other, and I thought I wasn't sure if you were still talking, so I was still talking. So uh, <laughs> I think I can I can I can fill in the blanks on the story. So um, so yeah, look, I think the thing that ultimately bound us together was that we were both interested in in pushing the boundaries a bit with new technology, and Simon could see there was a better way for his business to ultimately procure the service they needed and 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 deliver something. And I could see from the supplier side that that was the future of the industry. And it was something that we had to start doing to stay relevant because businesses like Simon's that were forward thinking, it was all they were going to want to buy in the future. Um, and so I suppose our mutual love of, of you know, rapidly evolving technology is one of the things that brought us together and ultimately was a, a, you know, a big reason we felt comfortable starting Wirehub together, a business that has been all about solving the tech problems come from the digital age um, and for a long time that was kind of hosting and these days it's all kinds of stuff data and ai technology and machine learning and all manner of things but um i'll spare you the sales pitch but anyway we so we met through this serendipitous cold call we built a great working relationship around kind of emerging and and, and rapidly changing technology and ultimately built a, a successful fast-growing scale-up business by kind of tapping into that understanding that we had and and and, and ultimately developing products and services around it. So um, I think it's fair to say technology has played a really key part in both of our lives and it's something we're both really passionate about. And so it's it, it's weird, you know, this, this place we find ourselves now because Simon and I are the target audience for something like the latest piece of consumer technology. You know, we're the early adopter, I suppose. If, you, if, you, if you're chatting to the CMO of a major consumer electronics company, we are in that early adopter demographic as frankly are many of Wahai's customers. And so we are in the echo chamber that would be talking about this stuff when it's new and exciting. And they're just over, the, it's not just this year, it's not just in Corona. Over the last three years, really, it feels like, there's just been this sort of slump 
of interest in new device releases, new product announcements. Um, and I think it's a really interesting thing to, to, to unpack. So um, I think from my perspective, if I had to summarize it, I would say we've got to this point now where there is no longer like meaningful change year to year. Like they've all got to all phones and, and basically consumer electronics, TVs, laptops, you know, it's all kind of got to a point where it's all pretty good. It all works pretty well and there's not really anything it can't do. So being 20% faster just doesn't make any difference anymore. And is that fair? What do you think? Yeah, I think um, it, it's kind of like a fatigue, isn't it? We've, we've got all of this fantastic tech around us now. We've gone through the stage with a lot of it of how am I going to use it? How's it going to change my life? People now treat smartwatches as an everyday device. They know where iPads fit in their own personal ecosystem. Where does my phone sit? Where's my laptop sit? Things like that. Everyone knows, uh, you know, how does my Alexa device know how to talk to my lights and all that jazz. It's just all off the shelf solved problems these days. The sort of stuff that you'd have had people trying to pine over doing through obscure technologies 10, 15 years ago is done. And there's, there's so much stuff out there technology wise behind the scenes, but when it comes to consumer technology, there's nothing there at the start of the hype curve that people are buzzing about. People keep trying, you know, companies keep trying to force new things. VR is having mm. a very good stab at giving it a go, like trying very hard to be that next thing. But there's nothing that has met that same moment as Steve Jobs stood on the stage announcing the first iPhone for a long time. I think tablets, super fast internet connectivity, that's, that's one, but that's a slow burn thing, really. Like That's just slowly crept into our lives. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a shame. It's missing. And and even things like super fast internet connectivity, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, fine. We can all stream 4K TV now without even thinking about it, for example. Hi, you know, beautiful high definition Netflix is available to all of us without really trying too hard. But it's incremental, isn't it? It's it's not that different really to just watching the same content in 1080p high definition the generation before 4k um and actually because it's it's a bit like it's a bit like when um you know when you when you have when you when one of your friends has children and you see them a month after the baby's born and then you see the baby a year later you're like oh my god this is a big change right but when it happens gradually you just don't notice it and um and I think for me, that's kind of what's happened with technology is there's just been this relentless change in, in small steps, which ultimately leads to quite a big net net gain. But because it's happened kind of perpetual, like perpetual releases of new things, new phones, one, if not two new phones a year, it's faster, it's better, you know, it's cheaper, constant, constant, constant. You just don't really see it happening. And actually, yeah. I think yeah. like Apathy today, is you what held sets in, I think. Yeah, and it's fatigue, isn't it? Like today, if you held an iPhone from, say, five years ago and the new one side by side, you'd probably be quite impressed by the difference. And sometimes people post those pictures, don't they, with like every phone all lined up in a line and you go, oh, my God, like that is amazing how far it's come in, in you know, in 10, 15 years. But I think because of the speed of it um, and the sort of the noise as well, the sort of signal to noise problem, like there's so much marketing now Constantly. everywhere about about yeah. this stuff because it's proliferated and it's mainstream you can't scroll through really... facebook or instagram without a kickstarter video being shoved down your throat about some new game-changing piece of technology that you absolutely must care about and must be in the first hundred people to order and yeah it's yeah. it's there's just so much 
so much of it, which makes me feel old, just to say. <laughs> Am I just being no, that old would... guy now? Yeah, I think this is that this is that. Oh, I remember floppy disks moment, isn't it? For us. And, <laughs> yeah, any uh, second we're going to talk about the pains of Windows ninety five or something. Any Zoomers watching this are thinking, "Oh God, Granddad, what are you on about?" <laughs> um, so, um, look, I think let's talk briefly about Moore's law. So, um, Moore's law is is most people have heard of it, frankly, but just in case you haven't, it's that computing power in is the kind of summary term CPU performance, computing power will double roughly every 18 months. And since Moore's law was posited, I think it was in the late 70s without looking up before the episode, um, it's, it's actually, we've actually exceeded it. So it turned out not only to be right, but actually to be slightly behind the curve of change. And actually it's looking like that change is starting to go, you know, go vertical and really exponentially shift now with some of the continued advances that are happening. Um, graphics cards from businesses like NVIDIA are a great example of that in recent years where they've basically like doubled and doubled again in three years and it's just insane now how, how good they've got. Um, what do you, do you think that can continue? What's your view? Do you, think, do you think it's inevitable that continues or do you think there has to eventually be a kind of threshold where it's not possible anymore to advance at that, at that rate? I think it's, it's got to now rather than individual individual vertical bits of technology escalating at that rate it's now like the pace of change universally across technology has kind of picked that up because someone creates something new now but it's so rarely a whole new packaged product it's more now about the discrete components like you mentioned about nvidia for example right that's a great example mm -hmm. three years four years ago someone's going to correct me four years ago they released the 1080 and then Two years ago, they released the 2080, and then this year they released the 3080, or whatever the order was. And the step changes in power of those NVIDIA cards is just utterly ludicrous. The 3080 wiped the floor with the 2080, which wiped the floor with the 1080, right? But the, the reality is people just can't make use of those things as discrete objects. It's not a... The, an NVIDIA graphics card is not a product you can take off the shelf and now I have this new capability in my life. It's a component, right? And so alongside with that, you've got things like SSD technology and CPUs and, and displays and, and so on. And then you've got the developers playing catch up afterwards to make use of all this technology. But it's not one product. It's not one package. So I think that's where it is now. We're just not seeing, we're not seeing like front and center in front of us, all these exciting new game changing once in a generation product launches that engineers mm. used to be able to turn out in that way. It just doesn't happen. I, I don't think it's, I think the sustainable, I, th I think the growth of that sort of behind the scenes technology is sustainable, but I think it's just gone as major step change, game changing products for consumers now. I think the, next, the, the current trend, if anything, seems to be pushing for a slightly calmer, more controlled way of being, in fact. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think, so Simon just reeled off a load of NVIDIA graphics card specs there, the 1080, 2080, et cetera, um, which are kind of like, Almost like, almost like iPhone 10, 11, 12, right? But in the context of a gra of a computer graphics card, and and so those graphics cards are interesting because they power things like video games. So you know, people playing the latest version of Fortnite or whatever are taking advantage of those things. But also, they power things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. And so, you know, if I look at what, if I look at our business and the way it's changed since we started it, you know. 
Hosting websites used to be really hard, and that was a business we made a lot of money out of, right? And and did very well growing our business, supporting the needs of, of others who who really needed like expert help putting a website on the internet and making it scale. Like that was a really tough technical challenge to solve. And so the underlying hardware's got better at an incredible speed, but the demand involved in hosting a website hasn't really changed that much. And so suddenly it's gone from this like quite difficult, quite expensive thing to do to this like quite straightforward, relatively cheap thing to do. And it's meant that businesses like ours have had to change, right? Because it's just not where the value is anymore. And it's not ultimately something that's worth paying for. And so I think what we've inevitably seen is, you know, we still do lots of that type of work and it's normally at the more complex end. So, you know, hosting like a broadsheet newspapers website that gets absolutely caned with traffic or a big e-commerce site or something like that. But, um, but the area that's really growing, right, for us is this area of, of looking at things like artificial intelligence. And that is, is really interesting in terms of the speed at which it's growing. And if you're immersed in that world, you are pinned to the screen every year looking at that new announcement still. And things like NVIDIA graphics cards actually are, are as relevant in that world as they are in the kind of video games world, which is where they're perceived to, to live. Um, so, for example, the new NVIDIA cards that Simon mentioned, these 3080s, are mind-blowingly good at doing machine learning. They are faster and more sophisticated in the way that they do that than anything that came before it. And the whole generation of technology that then comes off the back of those being created will dramatically improve and increase the speed of things like machine learning. And so what, you know, to put that in the hands of, of somebody who's not a, a technologist, what that means is that the system that a radiographer uses to detect your tumor more accurately suddenly got faster and cheaper, right? Um, in, I mean, talking in broad strokes, but, um, or the algorithm that, that a country might use to predict weather and ultimately perhaps alert of like dramatic weather conditions like flooding or hurricanes or something might have suddenly got faster, cheaper, more effective. So there are these kind of generational shifts happening below the surface, but they're just not quite in consumer land anymore, it feels like to me. Um, is that, do you share that view? Would you, would you add anything? Yeah, I think, they're, I think they're slowly trickling through to products that we can use in our everyday lives as well. You know, things like, like you mentioned then about processing of vast amounts of data and using it to do modeling and things like that. The way that, the way that front and center manifests for us is things like um, uh, the voice assistants, Alexa and Google and things like that, or um, mm -hmm. the, the new Microsoft Flight Simulator. There's not many products that come out that just make these days that make me like on the edge of my seat. Oh my God. But the new Microsoft flight simulator is a absolutely phenomenal combination of so many different technologies behind the scenes. And what they pulled off with that, it's the exact the sort of thing you're talking about. It would have been impossible to pull that sort of thing off 10 years ago. It would have required, you know, NASA grade supercomputers to do. And, and now that's an off the shelf product that you can buy for 50 quid. It's truly phenomenal. Um, yeah, it's, but it's it's not as I said before. It's like a, it's like the culmination of all these things, rather than in the individual discrete components. There's nothing I can point to in technological leaps that created the iPhone, but I can point to the iPhone and say that that's a technological leap. But I can't point to Flight Simulator 2020 and say that's a technological leap because I know that it itself is just a plumbed together thing of all the other bits and pieces behind the scenes. You know, I think there's certain mm -hmm. products that you know, are on the cusp of coming out that are going to change the way existing things work. Like the next generation of 
uh, gaming consoles, for example, will be a completely different experience to use, I think. You know, Google tried it with Stadia and doing streaming games and things like that, and it works, but there's a reason why everyone doesn't have one. And the new things like Xbox and PlayStation that are coming, they're going to be very different to use and create a very different experience once developers get able to harness all that tech. But it's a, it's not a new, it's not a new problem solved. It's not a, you know, they haven't created a new, a new thing that changes your life in a different way there. Um, mm. Yeah, I think it's just going to get a bit slicker, isn't it? In many ways, those sorts of things, definitely. Yeah. I think what, what will happen as well is people will still crave ways to be different and your example you gave earlier about, oh, well, you have a lot of money, you can afford to have Apple gear. Um, that's normal now, but those sorts of people will still have that desire to set themselves apart. You know, they would like to have things that contribute to the aesthetic of their living environment and things like that in a way that sets them apart from their neighbours slightly differently. Not that because they want to be elitist or they want status symbols or anything like that, just because it's personal style and if everyone is using the same iphone or whatever the device is here i am sat wearing apple earbuds but if if if, <laughs> if, if everyone earbuds even if everyone's using the same device there's no there's no difference between people you know so i think it it reminds me of um stories about the arts and crafts era which i think is is something that's kind of coming back but in the form of technology you know the arts and crafts era came about because of a a societal rejection of these mass-produced pieces of furniture and goods and things like that. It was in the days when um, everything was starting to look the same, um, early industrial revolution, that sort of thing going on. And you had people like William Wallace who got together and were like, you know what, I can make a chair and I'm going to make a chair that's different to all the other chairs and it's going to be my chair and it's going to be different and my neighbour's not going to have it. It's going to be a really personal item that I've, at the very least, described myself, but certainly is a one-off thing. And I think there is a, a movement towards that with technology. You know, I saw, I was speaking about Kickstarter things earlier, but the, a perfect example of this, which, by the way, I would never buy and I think is completely ludicrous, but someone defining a keyboard as an heirloom-grade handcrafted wooden keyboard. Now, I don't think I would ever class a keyboard as an heirloom myself, but... It, it really right. does like describe that example. What, what's the name of that uh, live streaming, live live broadcast speaker product that's doing the rounds at the moment? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I guess moving into talking about examples. So um, there's a thing called Odor, right? Which um, Simon and I were reflecting on this week, which is, uh, if, you, if you've not seen it, it's really worth checking out. It's oda.co is the, the website, Odor. And... Um, this is possibly the most ambitious direct consumer proposition I think I've ever seen. It's certainly up there. Um, they've come up with a way of trying to connect musicians with uh, an audience at home. Um, and... Oh, no, we've lost Rob again. It's a disaster. So it's a, it's a system where the, the musicians who are doing live performances are able to um, control these speakers that you place in your home. And they're able to define the soundscape and things like that and and define how the, the, the equalizer stuff is set on it. And they can 
you subscribe to uh, I, I want to be part of this season and I want to listen to this performance and it will start playing and it will be live and it will be them at the far end playing and all their listeners around the world on these systems listening back to it. Um, you're back again, Rob. Don't know what's yeah, happening carry on, carry on. Consumer technology, right? It's great. <laughs> um, and yeah, what, what yeah, fascinates I... me about it is it's, it's these... I'm pretty sure they're handmade, but they're certainly like limited made. They're really beautiful looking speakers, these things that are clearly designed to be statement pieces in a house. They are not your generic Sony 5.1 system. These are serious things. Um, and what I love about them is they're not trying to make money off your data or money through advertising. They're not going to sell you money. You're, you're not going to shove adverts down your throat. It's a pure experience of here is the thing you want. Here it is for this amount of money. And here's the musician directly doing the thing with you. And we're not going to get in the way of that. We're just going to provide a good product and a service. And it's a it's a beautiful piece of creative work as well, this speaker. Um, it, it's kind of like I, when I first saw it, I thought to myself, what's the difference here between this and Sonos? Because Sonos is a fantastic uh, ecosystem of product, um, fantastic environment. You don't have... You don't have adverts. It's all yours. You can control it locally. You're controlling it off your own devices and so on. But what's the difference? Could I not just subscribe to a live streaming service like this on Sonos? Well, yes, you could. But um, the thing about this is this, it's, as, as, you, as you put it, it's one specific direct-to-consumer play that's delivering this whole thing end-to-end. -end. It's uh, really interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating, and and I feel like the uh, the gods are, are punishing us for mocking the uh, relatively poor advancement in consumer te technology by wrecking this live stream for us. <laughs> I don't know what's going on? All fine before we started. Um, so um, yeah, look, I I think Ode is cool. I'm I might I think I might buy one. I'm really interested. They have I mean they've sold out unfortunately, so I'm going to have to wait for the next batch in 2021. But yeah, I think they're on like the um, third batch, aren't they? Yeah, they've sold sold out two matches. Matt's I think it looks like an amazing the, idea. Matt's just said in the chat here, they look stunning like squares of grained wood. I think they actually are squares of wood, Matt. I don't, yeah. I don't think it looks like that. I think it actually is that. And then, the other thing I like about it, uh, which you don't get with some you know, really niche internet-connected products, is you can take this speaker and use it for something else. And that's something that really pisses me off in some computer... Com, com, uh, uh, consumer electronics stuff is when you buy a device and it's a wonderful device but the online service that drives it disappears and now my device doesn't work. Yeah. Pebble watches the number one example <laughs> of that right they were the first decent smartwatch out there number one selling kickstarter thing of all time it like made kickstarter a thing that people knew about beautifully made things they did things in a different way that no one else would in fact pebble pebbles i'm going to say are like iphones right they really kickstarted their their uh, wearables uh, the wearables trend and they ran out of money and ended up getting bought by Fitbit and then they shut down the service and now the pebbles don't work I think there's an aftermarket way of doing things or some community has revived them or something like that but it's sure. a shame it's a shame but yeah these speakers yeah, you can use them for what you like well um I I yeah in another world, I'd get some for the office. In this world, I might just get some for myself. But um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm tempted. So yeah, so Oda's cool. Oda's, Oda's, this is our prediction, really, I suppose. We're getting into predictions here. But Simon and I both think that this sort of technology bundle is the future. And there's a couple of really key things about this. It, 
it ticks that craft box. It's something really, really beautifully made in relatively small batches, almost artisanal, dare I say, um, mm. that combines a physical object with technology in a really graceful way, but is underpinned by leaning on the shoulders of giants. So that's the magic of technology, really, right? And as in, in its advancement is what came before. And so for a service like Oda to work, there's so much being taken for granted that exists and works well, like high-speed internet connectivity, ubiquitous cloud services, you know, expert technology skill to bring, all, bring it all together as a compelling proposition, and audience scale through internet access and social media promotion. Um, and, and we'll finish with this. I won't get into it now, but they're not using your data or advertising as the product. And that's mm. something that is a really big trend as well, which we'll come back to. But before we get to there, I just wanted to look at a few other examples together. So um, I think Nintendo is another great example. Look, you've got two young children. Talk Absolutely. a bit about the Labo kits and, and what Nintendo have been doing. If there is one company you can rely on in the consumer electronics landscape to not rest on their laurels and not just keep milking the same cows over and over and over again, it's Nintendo, right? Name me a product. Well, exclude the Wii U. Everyone gets one. But name me a product from Nintendo that hasn't been, at the very least, game-challenging, if not game-changing, right? You've got, you know, think all the way back, the NES, game-changing. The Game Boy, game-changing. The N64, generation-defining for consoles. They had a falling out with Sony. The PlayStation didn't happen. But the PlayStation itself came out of a Nintendo project, right? The, mm -hmm. um, the Wii. Everyone who remembers the Wii coming out and Wii Fit knows how big a deal the Wii was. They sold out. Oh. You couldn't buy them for months. Absolutely crazy. Wii Fit was insanely popular. And you have people standing in their living rooms throwing bowling balls at their TV screens and launching their Wiimotes into the TVs to the point where they, had to put, they, they started shipping them with those rubber things around them. Incredible product. No one has ever made a reality augmenting game as compelling as the original Nintendo Wii, as far as I'm concerned, like game changer. And then look at the Switch. One of the best, well, I think actually, isn't it the best selling console of that generation? When the lockdown yeah, started... Yeah. You couldn't buy Switches. I'm pretty sure you still can't buy Switches. <laughs> They're just so good as devices. They create these contained ecosystems where there's no harm, there's no advertising. Now, my, my eldest plays a lot of online games on the Switch. And when I found out that she was going to be doing this, I kind of got a little bit paranoid because I know what online gamers are like. I've met them. You don't like those people. They're not nice. But Nintendo create these online ecosystems and these kind of safe walled gardens that are safe for children, they're family safe. Labo, that you mentioned, right? Who, who sits in the crazy idea workshop and comes up with an idea of, you know what, we're just going to sell people a pile of cardboard that they can assemble into all sorts of fantastic creations as if they're seven-year-olds, and we'll just mix that with VR and augmented reality and let you create your own, create your own fun in your own games, your own AR sort of gaming environment. Just phenomenal. And now they're trying to do the Wii Fit thing again with, uh, what's it called? You know, the thing with the circle. I'll just call it the thing with the circle. They're just amazing. Every time Nintendo have a major product launch, it's, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? What's the thing with the circle? There's a thing with the circle and you put the controller in it, you clip it in and uh, uh, Google it. Wow. I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember what it's called. I, I'm learning too, everybody. Wow, the, cool. The most okay. recent announcement from them that really was like, 
Wow, that's amazing. I would like it pointed out now that Rob's battery died, and that is why he's gone <laughs> away. You all saw that, right? <laughs> oh, um, God. If, and you can as hear if us. Anything else could, as if anything else could go wrong on this recording, <laughs> I will switch camera while we wait. Beautiful. Carry so while Rob on. switches camera, I'll describe the most recent Nintendo product release that had me like, wow, I love it. Take, shut up and take my money. And it's their Mario Kart thing. The um, uh, They've taken the concept of Mario Kart and built it into remote control cars that you can drive around your house with your friends on an augmented reality Mario Kart track from the controller, from the console. Got you back, by the way. And uh, it's just amazing. Ten-year-old me would have been sat there with mates racing cars around the house, like, loving it. It is... Is phenomenal. I I don't believe they're out yet, or I certainly hope not, because uh, we've pre-ordered one as like a Christmas present for the daughters, and um, it's uh, it's going to be good. I have high hopes because Nintendo don't really mess stuff up very often. Wii U, notwithstanding. Yeah, Wii U maybe is their one, as you say. Um, Amy says, no, "I'm so googling the thing with the circle and see what happens." <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to hear Big what it one. is. Yeah, results may vary. That's not a that's not a recommended Google search. Everybody, you know what? just just. I'm going to Google it. I'm going to Google what it's called. Yeah. Nintendo Switch Fit thing. My Google works. Ring Fit. That's the one. It's called Ring Fit. Ring Fit. Okay. Ring Fit. You heard it yeah. here first. The hottest the hottest new gift for Christmas. Nintendo Ring Fit. Um, cool. And I think. Just to talk about a couple of other examples before we move on to the the kind of business models that support them. So, um, oh, can I can I just I get think, one? Th yeah, sorry, just say yeah, one on, thing on. on that topic. Actually, there's a book. Uh, if if you're interested in in the importance of handcrafted things and making things, um, me and Rachel, my wife, uh, have done a couple of. Um, such a douchey thing to say. Fine woodworking classes, cabinet making stuff. Not the I'm just going to slap some pallets together with some nails, but the how to completely with hand tools craft everything with the perfect joints and all that jazz. And uh, okay. our um, the the master craftsman who uh, was tutoring us, uh, Aiden, recommended a book to me called Why We Make Things and Why It Matters. It is a fantastic book. And if you're interested in the arts and crafts mentality, and why it's important to get your hands dirty and get making things. That book, 10 out of 10, would buy again. Why we make things and why it matters. I want to say it's by a guy called Peter Korn from memory, but uh, yes. Cool. Well, hit, hit Simon up on LinkedIn if you want to, if you want a, a link to the book if you can't find it. Um, so, yeah, just the last example I just want to talk about briefly is the 3D printing side of this, the manufacturing side of this. So you obviously have been a big proponent of 3D printing since... The beginning really and um i don't think the promise of 3d printing that many people were given has quite manifested itself yet we're not we're not on the whole mm. printing things in our own houses yet it's we not might, quite, it's there. not quite tl gray black is it yet <laughs> no no not not yet but but maybe it will get there but um just how big a place do you think modern manufacturing techniques like 3d printing has in in all this stuff coming together like do you think do you think that that is a continuing trend that we should all keep a really close eye on that's going to disrupt over the next decade or, or we're, we're thinking predictions here really as well like what do you what do you think about 3d printing and manufacturing uh, well i think 3d printing the whole concept you know um 
deposition-based 3D printing, additive 3D printing, and subtractive uh, 3D work, that's not just going to be a game changer. That has changed the game. That's one of those behind-the-scenes technologies that you don't hear about, but it's totally a thing. It's so accessible these days that I challenged John, one of our colleagues and long friend of mine, I challenged him and said, print me a ukulele, because I quite like ukuleles. I'll print me a ukulele. I'll supply the vitamins. I'll, uh, I'll give you some tuning pegs to put in the back and I'll buy some strings. But I quite fancy designing a ukulele and 3D printing it. He has a row of them behind him in his house now. It takes him about, from what I understand, about half an hour to an hour to print a ukulele. That's awesome. And it plays. And now you've got manufacturing companies, like aerospace companies, are using 3D printing to create parts. Additive 3D printing allows you to manufacture things in a way that... Um, Previous things like injection molding and cutting and, and stamping and so on just isn't possible because you can build things up from the inside out. It's, it's a totally mm -hmm. different, really environmentally friendly way of manufacturing. There's essentially zero waste. You've got an electricity cost, but that's it. You don't. If you stamp out bits of tin to make cases, I'm going to just grab a random thing, right? Okay, so this is a, this is a piece of plastic. This is a cover for a, for a, sequen, a, a synthesizer. This is a... Looks like a vacuum-formed piece of plastic, right? So this is going to have come from a big sheet of plastic. It's going to be stamped out a bit. It's going to be come out from slightly larger because it's had to stretch to do this front bit. It's a piece of polyurethane, so it's not particularly nice plastic. It's pretty environmentally dodgy. Um, and, um, you know, there's, there's going to be wastage from that. And that's just a rectangle. If you look at something more complex, like, say, I don't know, I've got a peg on my desk here, right? There'll have been loads of wastage in this. There'll probably be twice as much plastic involved. If you're doing 3D printing, no wastage, nothing. And the material that that stuff is made from is reusable as well. Um, so Interesting. Yeah, 3D okay. printing, so, it's here to stay. So short answer, yes, it's massively impactful, but it is slightly below the surface still. And that has, yes. that is having a huge impact on, on all these things. Okay, interesting. So look, conscious of time, let's move it on and just talk, just sort of to round off, why don't we talk about the business model? So I think that the other thing that's changed a lot since the first iPhone is, the way that businesses are trying to monetize these products and services. And I mean, even the iPhone itself, all phones now come 0% interest-free for 24 months, pretty much out, pretty much across the board, the high-end smartphones have got as to this point where and it's as a service. And there's loads of reasons for that, not least because the credit has never been cheaper and there's negative interest rates and all these reasons why companies just can't give money away. So they'd rather you bought one on loan and didn't buy one at all. Um, but there is this kind of move to recurring revenue being the magic thing that businesses want. And there's a thing called, there's a, a commentator called Scott Galloway, who's very well known, um, who wrote a number of books about, you know, the big four in tech. And, and, and he has, he coined this, this phrase called um, a rundle, which is basically a recurring revenue bundle of services, which is more than just a single product. And I think, He's absolutely right in that the Rundle is the kind of magic model. So if you look at Amazon, they're the kind of gold standard for it. Bundling up Prime with all these other things you get is a great example of a recurring revenue bundle, which just gives you value. But the hardware guys are doing it too. You know, you look at what Apple are doing. They're trying to, they're trying to build a Rundle with Apple TV Plus and your iPhone on a monthly subscription and your, you know, your insurance for your AirPods and a new pair of AirPods every year and, and all that kind of stuff. So... It seems it's like sticky. that model. It's sticky too, and it's an ecosystem. It's, ver it's a yeah. vert, you know, it's a horizontally and vertically integrated ecosystem. If we want to go MBA on it, um, but I think 
what's interesting to me about that is the previous model that was so widely popularized was based on advertising and data, right? So it, it, it seems to me like there's a shift away from us being the product, you know, the Facebook and Google era of technology where we kind of get the products and services relatively cheaply or for free. And in exchange for that, these companies monetize our data and ultimately sell, sell advertising to people using that data to target us. And the Netflix uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma, has been talked about a lot over the last few months, which I think made stuff relevant for people who perhaps didn't understand how it worked before with a lot of this stuff and has really raised awareness of it. And there is a bit of a backlash against that. So um, what do you think about the business models? Do you think it's positive that this shift away from advertising is happening? How do you, how do you see that evolution? What are your thoughts? I, mm, complex. <laughs> I think it's... Um, all right, there's pros and cons. Pros, it makes these things accessible to people who may not otherwise have the capital to just throw into things. Let's say you could create, a, as you put it, a, a completely vertically and horizontally integrated ecosystem of TV. So the announcement from Disney yesterday, for example, they're now, or was it the day before, they're now treating streaming as their first-class citizen, not cinema. Streaming first, cinema next. Massive game changer. Don't know if it's not on anyone's radar already, but that's a big deal. Um, let's say that Disney release a TV. Well, now you've got the Disney TV. Maybe it's going to integrate the, uh, the streaming service cheaper. Now you've got all of your TV stuff in one. And when you think Disney, you think Aladdin and Little Mermaid. Disney own a lot. Disney own Fox, don't they? A uh, 20th Century Fox, and they own um, uh, like they bought Lucasfilm and things like that. They've got some big assets out there, the Marvel stuff, all that jazz. Um, and now you've, you're creating these ecosystems where people are stuck paying paying a price constantly for a product, and they can't leave it because all of the things that they want in there, they're um, that's the only way to get them. In the UK at the moment, um, there is an infuriating model that um, on on um, sports stuff, which personally, I don't watch sports stuff at all, but it drives me mad on principle. And that's that if you want to watch sport TV, you have to, you have to, the only ways you can get it is either subscribing to Sky or subscribing to BT Internet. And BT have obviously paid an absolute fortune to get the rights for BT Sport and bundled it in, but it's it's trying to do the same thing. It's it's integrating these channels and, and hooking it all together, right? Um, I don't like that. For me, I believe that you should be able to buy a product and that product should be yours in an unrestricted way for as long as you choose to use it. Subscribing to a product ties you into something with a business and, and creating that forced link between consumers and businesses and we're going to be together forever now, it's really infuriating. But that said, I'm one of the worst people for, for getting sucked into that sort of thing. I, I've been an Amazon Prime subscriber since the day they launched Prime in the UK, and I don't buy from shops that aren't Amazon. So I guess it works. It's <laughs> it's a real horrible thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you're voting with your wallet there, whether you like it or not. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think it's interesting, your view. I feel slightly differently about it. I think mm -hmm. um, I I think there's so much waste in this world Um you know, I'm sort of trying to do as much as I can with what little free time I have to help with that challenge and hopefully, you know, 
reduce our impact on our planet in such a way that we might be able to continue to live on it for another thousand years. Um, I, I think that the problem with ownership is it creates a lot of waste because inevitably when you own something, often there's a physical component to it and that is a thing that expires eventually. And so on the whole, I think this idea of, of, of borrowing, right, renting, leasing, being given access to things when during a period which you pay for them and, and then being able to simply terminate that relationship and not be left with something is, is great. I mean, let's take Sky, seeing as you brought it up. Um, the Skybox. How many Skyboxes go in skips, right? It's insane yeah. that there's this massive plastic big box that you have to have to take delivery of a TV service when actually it could all just be done over the internet, delivered for as long as you pay your subscription. And, and you know, look, Sky are slowly moving to that model for obvious reasons and are trying to become more ecological. And, you know, I support what they're doing. I don't mean to pick on Sky. They're just an easy example. But, like, there are so many products and services that we've been buying over our, you know, adult lives in technology that, that end up just going in the bin, ultimately. And so I think, you know, if you take the, take the phones, take the phones is a great example. By yeah. moving your phone to a monthly rolling cost, implicitly, therefore, making sure that the old models get recycled where they still have usable life left. But, but that's, go a out big if, right? that's a well, big if, right? Well, it is a big if, but the fact of the matter is, if you pay the monthly fee for, to always have the latest iPhone, they don't send you the new one until you send your old one back, right? And that means that it doesn't just sit in a drawer and rot like 20, 30, 40% of old iPhones do. It actually gets refurbished and used. So for that very simple reason... I support it because I think that, that that shift to recurring revenue, I know this is a massive generalization, but on the whole is enabling a kind of a world where there is less waste. And that's a, a very broad view, but it's it's something that I think is very, it, it, it's hard to argue that it's not true, I guess. It, it feels like the opposite to me. you take it from a high enough level. It feels like the opposite to me. Like we had, uh, James last night was describing the... Uh... The Samsung model with phones, and mm -hmm. um, he's on a on a subscription thing, rental thing now. After two years, he owns the phone. After one year, he can hand the phone back and get a new one. Well, what that's going to implicitly do is take away any barrier to you work on, uh, getting a new phone. It's every year he's going to hand back the phone and get a new one. Hand back the phone, get a new one, and constantly have the latest greatest tech. But he's paying a price point that your regular Joe consumer is happy to pay. Otherwise, they wouldn't design the product that way, right? On the other mm. hand, I've had this phone for over two years, and I'm quite happy with it. But if I was on that so subscription think... model, I would have caused another phone to be manufactured. So Interesting. Yeah, and, and interesting. I don't think people do keep things like phones. I don't think they do just keep them lying in drawers. I mean, maybe some people keep a spare, but most people sell them, don't they? They're like some CEX or an eBay or something like that. Are you the sort of person who's got a drawer yeah. full of phones behind you? <laughs> no, mate. You're you're really organised with that sort of thing. Most yeah, people don't enough. do that. They um they sit in drawers. But I take your point on the on the sort of forcing the refresh thing. Um. Anyway, look. I think I'm conscious of time. Um. I think we could keep going for a while. I think. Look. I I am pleased that the data and advertising model is starting to be disrupted by other opportunities because the, the perpetually owned, beautifully handcrafted stuff is all a rejection of that stuff too, which is really positive. And all I'll say is, 
you know, in summary, I think while I'm not as excited by the new iPhone as anymore, and I think, you know, while we don't get to kind of huddle around consumer electronics announcements with that mystical theater that they used to have, I am still as excited today by technology as I was when we met all those years ago. I just think the areas where it's happening now are a little bit more behind the curtain than they once were. And, um, you know, I see the work that we get to do with our partners and clients, and it's incredible, right? Like the, the stuff that technology enables them to do that simply wasn't possible even two years ago and was frankly science fiction five years ago. Um, but it's not quite in our hands in the consumer world as it you, once was. You need so, a guide a bit more, I think, don't you? Yeah. You need someone to hold your hand a bit Yeah, more. definitely. Um, look, in closing, let's do the floppy disk moment. What's one piece of technology from your childhood that just blew you away when you first saw it? Do you have a memory of like CD seeing a piece of tech? CD-ROM. Well, how? Just like... No hesitation, CD-ROM. CD I installed the first CD drive in my primary school for my year four teacher. And I remember the reason why we did it was because you had to buy it. It was this, uh, it must have been SCSI. I don't know what it would have been. It would have been talking to an Acorn thing. Anyway, we had a, we had a CD sent to us uh, with, with stuff on it. It was gold, this thing. I don't know what it was actually made of. It can't have been a CDR because that wasn't a thing then, but it was a gold CD. And we needed to play it. We didn't have a CD-ROM drive. And the school bought a CD-ROM drive. And I fitted it. And I remember the first time loading this thing in and putting it in, just being like, wow, that's phenomenal. That's crazy. And I remember, because because obviously I was young and stupid at the time and didn't know anything, but I remember uh, having a conversation with someone a couple of years later, like, why don't we use CD-ROMs instead of hard drives? But, you know, it's, it was crazy. Because nice. they were bigger then. CD-ROMs were way bigger than hard drives. The amount of data you could pass someone on a physical medium, just phenomenal. 650 meg, yeah. what? <laughs> the whole of Encyclia Botanica on 18 yeah. CDs, whatever it was. Um, cool. What about well, you? Um, mine was, uh, it was internet gaming. When I first saw... Like I loved team sport growing up. I was like a real avid sportsman. I played everything. And when I, but I also loved technology and computers and video games. And so when I first saw a competitive game with 20 people playing from the UK and the US at the same time, this was in the demon internet days when ISTN was like really luxurious and very expensive. And I went, I had a job, uh, like a fifth, when I was like 15, I had a job at a local tech place called Daily Info in Oxford. Um, and they had ISDN because they needed it for their website and publishing. And there was this guy there who was playing Team Fortress on Quake One uh, with a load of people in the US. And it absolutely blew my mind. And I just thought, wow, like this is everything I love coming together. Team sport, you know, competition with video games, um, you know, meeting all these interesting people from all over the world. I could just see it, it was going to be the future. So um, well, I'm going to turn it around yeah. at you before you close host style. What's the most recent thing that's impressed you? Um, most recent thing that's impressed me, I think, uh, well, funnily enough, it was earlier today. So uh, I was reading an article earlier today about how Microsoft Azure AI uh, can now produce more accurate descriptions of images than humans can in aggregate. So for alt tagging images on your website for accessibility purposes and SEO and all that kind of wow. stuff, 
you can now feed it through Azure AI and it statistically produces a better description of what's going on in the picture than a human can. That's not uh, scary. I'm sure there will be, there will no <laughs> doubt be amusing outliers where it's wildly wrong, which humans wouldn't be. But on the whole, it's it's better. And I think that that for me is the thing about AI that I find so exciting is that the benchmark to be better than a human is not perfect. It's actually 90-ish percent accuracy normally. Um, so there you go. That was earlier today. Fair enough. There you go. Cool. All right, look, let's um, let's wrap up. Thank you so much for watching. Whether you're live with us now or um, or you're checking back on a on a, on a post recording on YouTube, sorry for a bit of technical challenges today. I don't know what's going on. This is what happens when I rope our usual producer into uh, into joining me for an episode. But I really wanted to talk tech with Simon. Um, I'm blaming him. Obviously, it's it's clearly cool. not his fault. Cool. Um, yeah, look, it's um, it's been great to to be. I don't know, maybe a little bit more conversational than we sometimes are with the topic today but i just think it's such an interesting area and something that's so close to both of our hearts and and i yeah. it was a genuine reaction like i was sat this week thinking why is no one talking about this iphone thing like i just couldn't it just sort of crept up on me that this is something that shifted and i thought it was an interesting thing to, to discuss so uh hopefully you've enjoyed listening to us that was why live episode seven uh chat back next month for episode eight thanks for watching